Hey, I'm Dave Rubin, and unless I've been impeached by a completely partisan vote, this is still the Rubin Report. Uh, as always, a quick reminder to click the subscribe bell so you guys have a small chance of seeing our videos right here on the YouTube. And more importantly, joining me today is an author, political commentator, and fellow at the Manhattan Institute, Heather McDonald, welcome back to the Rubin Report. It's such an honor, Dave. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm glad to have you back. Had you on about a year ago, yeah. and uh, the people they love you. That's what oh, I learned. God. That's what I learned in the YouTube comment section. It's just the aura being in in your presence. Yeah. You know, it's there's so much love coming at you that a little spills over. All so. right. Well, you're killing it in the scarf game today, so I feel like <laughs> I have to be very sharp. Oh, thank you. I'm so, too brilliant. So here we go. So one of the things I wanted to start with here is something that we discussed briefly for about five or ten minutes in our last interview. You are a secular conservative. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of conservatives f seem to think that that is a, either an oxymoron or just simply cannot exist because conservatism has to have some sort of religious underpinning. So I thought that would just be an interesting place for us to pick up the conversation. I base my conservatism on, on empirical truth, on what I've observed in life. Uh, I can talk about the necessity of the two-parent family because we can see empirically what happens when the marriage norm breaks down in communities. Uh, I, I support most traditional values because I think we have a history of, of stability when those are honored. I don't think it's particularly stable to rest a set of political principles or moral principles on the basis of revealed wisdom, that this holy book supports this. And, I've, I'll notice this, people who I respect enormously, Dave, whether it's Dennis Prager or Michael Medved, that are making the argument that you cannot have a moral society without a foundation of religious belief, I would ask them, these are two brilliant Jewish thinkers, why don't you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? It's revealed truth, the New Testament Mm -hmm. says that this is gospel. They don't believe that. So basically, that. if you're going that far with religion and you're saying you need this revealed truth, this belief to organize a society, why not the next level of the revealed truth or whatever right. the next level is or something like that? Right. They will not take it as simply necessary truth, the fact that the New Testament claims to be the word of God. Why don't they believe that? They're basing their same belief in the Old Testament on the same claim that the New Testament makes. They just choose to be agnostic or atheistic about one of those holy mm -hmm. books. I could apply the same challenge to their belief that the Old Testament is the revealed truth because it's simply uh, self-validating. Uh, self so I would look for a, a different set of principles that are, does not depend on one's suspension of disbelief and an acceptance that something is revealed truth for my moral code. So with that being said, does it matter to you if the end result is the same, right? So I'm gonna guess that on most of the important issues of the day, you probably agree uh, in large part with both Dennis and right. Michael Medved right. and most conservative thinkers that maybe come from a more religious background. So at the end of the day, when it all washes away, do you, do you think it really matters? Do you think that's sort of a long-term problem I, no, I guess if we arrive at the same place, I think it's, it, it's a problem for that segment of voters or, or thinkers who don't find those appeals particularly interesting. But I have to, I'll be very honest, Dave, part of my 
resistance to this is simply I don't find claims of petitionary prayer and the idea of a personal loving God consistent with what I see, what I call the daily massacre of the innocents. Mm -hmm. To me, it's a very hard claim to make that I should expect God to pay attention to my well-being when he's willing to allow horrific things to happen to people far more deserving and innocent than I am. So for me, it's partly just a truth value. I cannot stomach what appears to me to be a patently false claim about a personal loving God. It's, it's interesting. I've mentioned that I've had uh, John Kasich in here, who's the former governor of Ohio and mm -hmm. presidential candidate, obviously. And when I asked him about faith, he said something that, I, that sounded sort of um, almost flippant, uh, but I thought it was really actually pretty insightful. He said, you know, some people can do it with God, I just can't. Uh -huh. And I thought that was actually like, you know, for a certain set of people, they, where you're able to sort of always sort of maybe go back to your intellectual side, mm -hmm. some people just sort of get tired of that. Does that, does that make well, sense Well, and I also think it's a very, I think it's genetic. Mm. I know that I am not particularly predisposed towards metaphysical questions because I don't think they can really be answered. So the idea of what started the universe, uh, we can't really answer that. I think that to say, God, that's just a placeholder for ignorance. Right. That doesn't help, you know, because <laughs> you get- I may have to you get, get you the, in here with Prager to, <laughs> I'd love to discuss to. it. Yeah. You well, get well, infinite regress, yeah. you know, so where did God come from? It just It's just putting off that moment of ignorance a little bit further. So I don't find those questions particularly relevant. On the other hand, I recognize that for much of humanity, that is a very deep, need to ask these basic questions about origin and, and end point, where are we all headed? What is the meaning of life? To me, anybody who claims that they don't, he doesn't find meaning in life when there is Mozart and Haydn to invoke a Dennis Prager favorite, yeah. or Beethoven or John Milton or Aeschylus or, 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 or Anthony Trollope. Or just waking up with something. purpose exactly. for whatever you do. Doing, yeah. trying to do the yeah. best you can do. I don't find life meaningless for one second. Yeah, so does it worry you then when Republicans or more broadly conservatives talk about God all the time? Or now that we're seeing sort of a huge fracture in what's happening with the left, they're like completely afraid to even mention God or anything like that. Bernie, I think, is basically an atheist, although he won't really say it because uh -huh. I think there would be political repercussions. Right. Um, but are you, like, does that make you sort of feel not totally at home with the conservatives? Well, you know, I, I grew up in a very secular environment, and so it was a novel discovery to me in the 90s when I was in a more conservative writing circle, and I grew up as a default liberal. Uh, I hadn't been exposed to religion. I mean, it is an amazing thing. I had been educated on the coasts, and I didn't realize how different they were. Uh -huh. So in one sense, I'm very parochial. Uh, and I hadn't been exposed to the degree of religious faith. Uh, I guess I find it, I, I'm always amazed what to me seems parochialism when I hear, especially Christians in, in a political environment getting up there and talking about Jesus as God. My view immediately is, well, there are Jews around, you know, at the very least, <laughs> and there are Muslims. Yeah. How can you be so confident that everybody in this audience is of that particular faith. Uh, and I also would notice simply that religion has been tamed by the Enlightenment. Uh, 
It, it has now been taught to mind its manners and sit quietly in the corner. Mm -hmm. We all, you know, the, the, the great kissy-wissy between Jews and Christians that we all now talk about the Judeo-Christian environment, uh, her her uh, heritage, and perhaps rightly so, that's a novel thing. Right. It, was, it wasn't like that. It wasn't for a long like time. that. There for were things long called time. the Crusades and exactly. a whole bunch of other stuff. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And all these religious supporters are saying we cannot live without it. They are conveniently overlooking what the history of religion has been in our tradition and still is in many other places that have not gone through the Enlightenment. The concept of tolerance is not a religious concept, it's an Enlightenment concept. And religion in in the West has been forced to accept tolerance, which is a very good thing, mm -hmm. but that is not an idea that is inherent to religion. Right, so I don't wanna be Prager or Medved's no, do, law, lawyer at the moment, on. but I think what they would say is that it was the, it was all the religious stuff that organized society that allowed us to get to the Enlightenment so that the Enlightenment could then you know, unfurl all these good ideas. Well, I don't think, I don't think Christianity or Judeo-Christianity has any necessary monopoly on moral virtues. I think there's a certain core sense of, I don't know any culture that says murder is okay, but every culture starts to they make certain distinctions. What? They don't last that long. <laughs> right, yeah. but it's fun for a moment. You know, <laughs> you get to give in to your, your most uh, aggressive tendencies. Right. ZipRecruiter is the smartest way to hire. Gretchen Hubner is a real ZipRecruiter customer who used ZipRecruiter to hire for her company, Codable. Gretchen experienced how challenging hiring can be after unsuccessfully searching for a new game artist to grow with her education tech company. But she switched to ZipRecruiter and saw an immediate difference. You can too by signing up for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Rubin. ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you, it finds them for you. And by using ZipRecruiter's screening questions to filter candidates, Gretchen found it easier to focus on the best ones, then find the right one. After posting her job on ZipRecruiter, Gretchen hired a new game artist in less than two weeks. Four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. See why ZipRecruiter is effective for businesses of all sizes. Try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Rubin. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash R-U-B-I-N. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. And now back to the show. Where, where do you think um, Trump falls out on this? Because I don't think anyone really thinks he's a religious person or, or perhaps even a believer in any real sense of it. Yet Christians or evangelicals especially really seem to, to like the job that he's doing. Well, I don't think he has particular principles or deep thoughts about much of anything. I think he will, he's a chameleon. He takes on the coloring of what is convenient at the time. So whether he believes or not, I, 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 I don't know. He, I don't think he's thought much deeply about it either. Uh, and it doesn't really matter, but certainly he's willing to speak that rhetoric uh, in order to get, get that vote. And it is a, it's an interesting question. I mean, can, we're more ready to have a gay politician probably than somebody who is an avowed non-believer, mm -hmm. which is an interesting. So taking the other side of this, as, as we watch sort of this internal civil war of the Democratic Party between the socialists and I would, you know, the last few remaining yeah. decent liberals or whatever you want to call them, I, I do see a connection between not necessarily belief, but they no longer have any sort of guiding principle that they believe in other than the state. 
Mm-hmm. Do you see something like that? Like they've not that you need God or you're going to have the state, but because they have something, they have almost nothing. It's starting from nothing other than the state. They just want that state to grow and grow and grow. Well, you're sort of making an argument that I hear a lot, which is that uh, the left, progressives, liberals are relativists. They're moral relativists. I don't. That's not what I see. I see an absolute dogmatism. They just have a different set of values or virtues of in which they are absolutely convinced. I mean, they think that they know the truth of America, and that truth is one of endemic, enduring white supremacy, uh, and that everybody, unless he has been proven otherwise, is filled with bigotry and hatred. So I see them as, as uh, judgmental, as the worst caricature of, of Puritans. So, so I wouldn't say it's a, an amoral view, and it's not one that is particularly individualistic. It's, it's group-based mm-hmm. uh, and uh, identity-based. Yeah, does it seem to you that the remaining piece of whatever the Democratic Party is, that it, it, this just can't hold? I mean, AOC, who I think is pretty much wrong about everything, she did mm-hmm. say something a couple of weeks ago that I thought was relatively insightful, which is that she basically, as a socialist, I don't, you know, they still call themselves democratic socialists, but they'll, they'll get rid of that <laughs> right, first right, part soon enough. Right, but that she shouldn't be in the same party as Joe Biden. Uh-huh. And that strikes me as actually true. What are these people doing in the same party? Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton should not be in the same party. That, that this thing just can't hold much longer. Well, I don't know. I think that that's, the gravity is, is with the AOCs. And I would love to see a very strong defense of the free market system of individual entrepreneurship, of the, of the nobility and bravery and courage. But is there of literally, is there literally any Democrat? I mean, is there any, even Biden, like he's the last no, vestige won't. of it, right? No, they won't, they won't, they won't. So what do you think that is that would lead someone like Biden, that you know that he's not one of these people? Like, what do you think that is, that weakness point? I think that the idea that there is a Western culture has been so devalued. There's a constellation of complaints, of accusations that are deeply intertwined, uh, and it is involved with identity politics. I think, I think that the identity politics is what's gonna take this culture down. But I think to support capitalism, you are leaving yourself open to supporting white male capitalism mm-hmm. and white male entrepreneurship. And so I think what Biden fears uh, would be less being accused of being a hard-hearted uh, uh, vulture on the body politic as being somehow involved in a long tradition that led to colonialism, that led to imperialism, and that leads to oppression by white males of everybody else. So that's what I think is going to prevent him from uh, giving a strong-throated and full, full uh, enthusiastic defense of the values of, of capitalism. And for me, the question is, again, as we mentioned before, the, the, the uh, Mark Benioff sales force, you know, the, the Jeff Bezos's of the world, when are they gonna demand a candidate that will uh, defend their right to become 
billionaires legitimately yeah. because they created products that the world over is hungering for. Isn't it pathetic then we see Tom Steyer up there and he's like begging, he's like a little puppy dog around Bernie, just like me, like, well, it's because he doesn't want to get sent to the gulag once Bernie's in power, right? Right, yeah, no, no, yeah. politicians, I mean, they, they still have this incredible power, you know, and uh, he's not about to say, uh, he occasionally invokes that I did create something, and, and of course he has to have his, his humble roots. Right, right, right. But uh, he's not about to say, I did something that you guys wouldn't have a clue to do, which is mastering the supply chain. Right, do you think it's funny that the, that the billionaires that are thought of as the good guy billionaires, so you know, Bill Gates is thought of as good, let's say, yeah. and Warren Buffett is thought of as good, you know, Koch brothers bad, or whoever the right ones are bad, but the, the ones that are thought of as good, they sort of think that they can give away enough money or say mm -hmm. enough things that it will save them, but it will never save them, right? No. In, in the eye, ultimately, of the base, no matter, they could give away everything, they could right. destroy their fortunes and empires, and it just, it will never end. Yeah, and there's Do you think they just don't realize that? Or, or it's like, you just have to do it no matter what, because you want to survive. Ah, uh, do they not realize it? Yeah, I don't, they don't really have a choice, um, but, they are playing with fire. I mean, they have to realize that the, the extent that they continue feeding this, and Mark Benioff is just a great example. There he is in, in San Francisco promoting this idea that the, San Francisco has not done enough to help the homeless, and you know we need to save the children and whatnot through just endless bulking up of the bureaucracy without dealing with the profound questions of norms, public norms of behavior. Uh, you know, he probably thinks he can buy uh, exoneration, but it's just, it's not gonna happen because again, it's all connected. You know, this the same left that is has been dominating homeless politics in San Francisco for decades, the Coalition on Homelessness, they are connected to the entire woke uh, discourse, whether it's regards to illegal aliens or uh, you know, white supremacy or male toxic masculinity, it's all, it's all part of the same thing. So let's shift actually towards the, the homeless portion of this, because okay. I, I, I watched this morning a talk that you did about the San Francisco situation, which yeah. everyone knows is horrific. I've told this story a million times, but when I was there about a year ago, I went out to dinner uh, with a friend and we were at Morton Steakhouse. So it's a nice street we're on, a supposedly nice street. Mm -hmm. Our car got broken into right outside the restaurant. They stole my bag and my notebook and all this stuff. And I took a picture of the broken glass and I tweeted it out. And I kid you not, I got hundreds, if not thousands of responses, basically all saying the same thing. Dave, what kind of idiot <laughs> leaves a bag in a car in yeah. San Francisco? Because right. there is such an epidemic of break-ins mm -hmm. that they know, that no, regular people know not to leave a bag in a car. Yeah. What is happening up there? Well, it's happening across the country. We're in a massive process of denorming. We are unraveling every standard uh, in the name of racial justice. So what happened in your car, that's, that's a product of, largely of Proposition 47, uh, one of the ballot initiatives in California that downgraded a whole bunch of felonies, including felony theft, uh, to misdemeanor status because of the problem of criminal laws having a disparate impact on minorities. 
This episode of the Rubin Report comes to you with support from our friends over at Bravo Company Manufacturing. In the Second Amendment, the Founding Fathers guaranteed an individual the right to protect themselves. Owning a rifle is an awesome responsibility, and building rifles is no different. Started in a garage by a Marine veteran more than two decades ago, Bravo Company Manufacturing, or BCM for short, builds a professional-grade product which is built to combat standards. This is because BCM believes that the same level of protection should be provided to every American, regardless if they're a private citizen or a professional. Bravo Company Manufacturing is not a sporting arms company. They design, engineer, and manufacture life-saving equipment. BCM assumes that when a rifle leaves their shop, it'll be used in a life-or-death situation by a responsible citizen, law enforcement officer, or a soldier overseas, so quality is of utmost value to them. Every component of a BCM rifle is hand-assembled and tested by Americans in Heartland, Wisconsin, to a life-saving standard. BCM has always put people before products. They build their products because they feel it's their moral responsibility as Americans to provide tools that will not fail the end user when it's not just a paper target, but someone coming to do them harm. Because of this, BCM knows that making reliable, life-saving tools is only half the story. They also work with leading instructors of marksmanship from top levels of America's Special Operations Forces. To learn more about Bravo Company Manufacturing, head on over to bravocompanymfg.com where you can discover more about their products, special offers, and upcoming news. That's bravocompanymfg.com. Need more convincing? Find out even more about BCM and the awesome people who make their products at youtube.com slash bravocompanyusa. And now back to the show. Do you think the people that are pushing these laws, that it's the road to hell is paved with good intentions always, do you think that they really think they're doing something good, even though all the evidence always points to the fact that it gets worse after these policies are Yeah, I don't, I don't, I, I think I've, you've said yourself you're not a big fan of conspiracy theories. I'm not either. I really, I take people at their words. I think that they really do believe that the overrepresentation of blacks in prison is due to criminal justice racism and that we're throwing a whole bunch of, of trivial offenders in prison, which is not the case. Mm -hmm. You have to work very hard to get yourself a prison sentence. Most, any big city, you're triaged out. Uh, you, you know, if you steal somebody's car, a DA is gonna be completely uninterested in you. You have to steal it at gunpoint with the driver still in to get a big city DA interested in, in actually prosecuting your case as opposed to just giving you probation and sending you on your way. Uh, but no, I, I think that they, they really do believe that uh, the criminal justice system is racist and that the way to solve that is to, is to not prosecute, not put people, not, and, and defang the police. And of course, the problem is, yes, there's a vast overrepresentation of blacks in prison, but the thing we should be concerned about is that blacks are victimized by crime the most. Mm -hmm. And I go to community meetings in, in inner city neighborhoods all the time, those good law-abiding bourgeois residents of high crime neighborhoods beg for more police protection. Mm -hmm. Those are the voices that never get heard. So when these policies are put in place, or like in New York City, de Blasio has now done this thing where you're allowed to jump the turnstile. Uh -huh. uh, they yeah. will not stop you. So right. it's like, you're basically saying to everybody that pays, yeah. right? And I lived in New York City most of my adult life, I never jumped a turnstile. You're basically saying, if you pay, you're an idiot. Yeah. Like, why should you do it? And th so they're actually encouraging more and more people to not follow the law. I know, and AOC has as well. I mean, it, this is really, for a politician to defend turnstile jumping should be, that's an impeachable offense. Huh. Because social norms are fragile. Mm -hmm. 
and respect for the, for the rule of law is the essence of a civilization. We lose that and you get third world anarchy with everybody trying to game the system. You know, queuing is a thing of beauty. We take it for granted, but for people to be able to quietly wait in line and wait their place, as opposed to trying to, you know, get to the top and just muscle everybody else out, break the rules, whatever, to get ahead. That is a, you know, has been a sort of normal condition. And for respect for the rule of, for the law is incredibly precious. And to say it doesn't matter and the police should walk on by, you are playing with fire. You are on the road to anarchy. Do you sense that we're in a much more precarious place right now related yes. to that than, than we've ever been, or at least, or maybe well, in the last, let's say, 50 years, something like that? Well, we had this extraordinary revolution that nobody foresaw in the 1990s. In the 80s, the reigning wisdom on law enforcement itself was that police could do nothing about crime, that crime was a product of inequality and injustice, and until you solved poverty, and, and economic inequalities, all the police could do would respond after the fact. Mm -hmm. So why even bother? So this is like why New York City and especially Times Square was a drug den when, yes. when I was growing up going into the city. Because you just police would just walk on by. The yeah. FBI publishes an annual crime report. Throughout the 80s, they had a disclaimer saying, well, of course we know homicide is a social problem that the police can't solve. So the 90s had this incredible profound moment where that whole ideology of passivity before social anarchy was turned on its head and you had Mayor Giuliani coming in. Giuliani in his good days, I don't know what's happened to him now, it's very <laughs> depressing to me, but he was the great one of the greatest mayors, if not the greatest mayor New York ever had. And his police commissioner, William Bratton, said, no, we are actually gonna, the police are gonna lower crime by enforcing the law. And we learned that enforcement matters. You change people's behavior, you deter criminal offending, and they started paying attention to those low-level crimes in, in Times Square, the squalor, the, the, the turnstile jumping, the graffiti, the urinating in the streets, and they changed public norms. And, and the whole broken windows theory is correct, and even if it doesn't prevent higher-level crimes, it's what people in high crime neighborhoods beg for. They want public order on the streets. And now that is all being thrown away. And again, the reason is disparate impact. So, all right, so as someone that deals in fact, and that's what your books have been about, yeah. and that's why my audience digs what you do. <laughs> you. Do you ever find that sometimes facts just aren't enough to change the discourse? Yes. So it's like, all oh, right, well, then, <laughs> okay, we could probably move on. No, but so how do you, how do you deal with that then? Because I find this to be like the most um, sort of strangest place for conservatives to be right yes. now, which is that most of the facts seem to be on the conservative side of things at the moment. Like it just seems to be reality right now. But I think conservatives have a really hard time breaking through either the cultural part. I think that's actually really changing right now, partially because of Trump. Um, but sometimes facts just aren't enough, right? I mean, I was telling you right when you sat down, my, we were talking about the homeless thing, the target that's a half mile from my house, there is a massive homeless encampment, massive. I mean, it's like a city mm -hmm. there now when I go to Target and it's like, well, I, we could talk about why some of the reasons that you just laid out are allowing this to expand, but a lot of people don't wanna hear that. Well, you know, this is something that you have been thinking about for much longer than I have of how do you 
change minds? What is the nature of rational discourse? What is its limits? And you know, we learn from people like Jonathan Haidt that in fact, reason often acts as a after the fact justification for people's instinctive value systems and, and ways of looking at the world. So while I would like to claim non-ironically that I have the facts on my side, and in fact, <laughs> I believe that, I mean, that's what drives me, and it's sort of a hatred of what I call idiocy. Yeah. I have to acknowledge that the progressives would say the same thing. They would say, my God, can't you see the relevant facts? For me, one of the dividing lines between a conservative and a liberal outlook is that liberals or progressives will tend to see structural explanations for inequality as the most powerful ones. And conservatives are more inclined to see individual choice, personal responsibility, personal behavior as more significant in leading to ultimate social outcomes with with economic disparities. And so a, a liberal is gonna say, but can't you see the facts of people growing up in very different economic circumstances? There's not equal opportunity yet. So how can we possibly demand one single set of behaviors from people? Uh, that they, and they would not view the facts, for me, like probably the most profound fact of our social existence today is the breakdown of the family. And if this continues going, you cannot have a civilization that way. Right, but, but as Liberals you know, if you say, right, well, that's the thing. If you say that to them, I mean, we see this all the time. If you say that to them, what do they say? Racist. You're racist. You're a racist, right. So, so it, you're being extremely kind to them by saying that they're dealing in their facts, but it's like they're dealing in their facts at just sort of a different layer that the real facts are beneath. Yeah, I, you know, I generally, I, again, I'm not gonna say that all of the hypocrisy or blindness is on one side and the mm -hmm. other. I will, however, say this. I do think that the silencing tactics of liberals are not symmetrical. There are many paths to finding your family story. Whichever way you choose, tracing your family generations back with a family tree or uncovering your ethnicity with Ancestry DNA, it's easy to get started with Ancestry. Ancestry DNA can provide historical details that bring unique family stories to life. You could find an infamous relative or perhaps a photo of your great grandma as a little girl. Whatever you find, it's sure to change the whole way you look at your family history and yourself. The story of your family history is the story of you. Ancestry DNA doesn't just tell you which countries you're from, but can also pinpoint the specific regions within them, giving you insightful geographic detail about your history. No other DNA test delivers such a unique interactive experience. It's easy to start making discoveries with Ancestry. Grab your Ancestry DNA kit and start a free trial to amplify your discoveries. Start exploring your family story today. Head to my URL at Ancestry.com slash Ruben to get your Ancestry DNA kit and start your free trial. That's Ancestry.com slash Ruben. That's Ancestry history.com slash Ruben, and now back to the show. I don't think that that conservatives have that all-purpose silencing tactic, which is to call somebody a racist. So in that respect, I do think that there is a, there is more open-mindedness on the side of, 
of conservatives. But again, all I can you know, you've been in these environments as well. You know yeah. all the arguments. They have arguments. We don't find them persuasive. They don't find our arguments persuasive. How you change minds in the face of that is the big mystery of our time. And, you know, I know that, again, I grew up in liberal default. What changed my mind is starting to do reporting and go into environments like I was in the, I started doing journalism in the 90s in this great renaissance of New York under Mayor Giuliani, who was taking on one sacred cow after another, whether it was the welfare industrial complex or the, the crime justifications. And I would go to homeless shelters and I would go to welfare offices and I would talk to the clients mm -hmm. and I would hear things that the left would characterize as, oh, that's just Ronald Reagan, you know, his, his disparagement of welfare clients. The welfare clients themselves would say, you know, these welfare mothers, they're just having more babies to increase their welfare check. You and I would say, the New York Times goes here. How do they not hear this? Well, they don't, they don't want to hear it because I don't know. It's, it's too counter to the narrative. Yes. You know, one, one of the most interesting examples of what you just said there, uh, David Horowitz once told me this story. This, he told me this privately. I'm sure I'm, I can say it publicly. He wasn't on the show. But he said that he was in, the, in New York City in the early 80s when the AIDS crisis was booming. Uh -huh. And this is right when he sort of made his conversion from a lefty to a conservative. And he said that they all knew it was coming out of the gay bathhouses. You know, these people are having right. orgies and there's drugs and right. all this stuff. Right. And they knew it was proliferating and it was killing people. And that basically the Republicans, the conservatives said, we have to close down the bathhouses mm -hmm. because there's this massive public health crisis. And the Democrats, because the road to hell is paved with good intentions, said, you guys are a bunch of homophobes. Yeah. You can't tell gay people what to do. So they, they were trying to do something nice. We like gay people, let them do whatever they want. The Republicans sort of sound mean, we're not gonna let the gays do that. Right. And then what did it do? It, it exacerbated the situation even more. So there's a lot of that, what you just laid out there. And I would also say, I mean, this is another classic example of the divide between liberals and conservatives. You. You know, the, the liberal definition is somehow this is Ronald Reagan's fault and AIDS is treated as a airborne disease without the fact acknowledgement that it is absolutely behaviorally motivated. You can avoid it 100% by not engaging in certain behaviors, by acting personally responsibly. You can yeah. say the same thing about campus rape. Yeah, well, not 100%, just to be totally clear. You could get a transfusion that's True, or, but that's not, but, that's right, the I got you. minor yeah, part. Yeah you know, the real transmission was in, in yeah. uh, sexual contact. Yeah. And that's true in Africa for heterosexual sex as well. But again, that reluctance to say there are things that individuals can do that ironically, I mean, it, look at it, just notice they tend to be things that do conform to traditional behaviors, which is sexual prudence and, and modesty and self-restraint. Uh, protect you. And I, again, let me just say the campus rape thing, it's the same thing. You could avoid 100%, virtually 100% what is called campus rape by, for, on the female's part by not getting drunk and getting in bed with a guy you barely know because the amount of stranger rapes going on on college campuses are minute. They barely That's show That's meaning up. just a guy that finds a girl walking gets down the street. Your, and, gets into yeah. your, breaks into your yeah. room uh, and, and you know, uses knife for or force. Most of the, campus rape is a voluntary sexual encounter that is 100% avoidable if you don't want to get involved. 
so you know that that's going to be the part that gets clipped of out of this and, and have I'm, the people I'm go after you for it. it. Right. Yeah. Um, but so when you, hear, I believe women have power. You know what? I don't want to. I don't want to give any sort of nauseating, strong feminist bromides here. But the fact of the matter is, is that females do have power to determine most of the outcomes of their lives today, especially that, today. So then, the message though that we hear when we hear about this campus rape epidemic. It really, in a, I guess the way you're framing it is that it boils down to, there, it's almost as if the left that's pushing this, they think women have no capacity over their own lives. It's infantilizing. It's, you know, this has been pointed out many times. The rules on campus are a, a male who's very drunk is responsible for his actions and the actions of the female. A female who is very drunk has no responsibility for herself. And she certainly doesn't have responsibility for the for the male. Now, I would frankly be very happy if we go through a full-throated revival of Victorian ethics. I believe that chivalry is an important value and it civilizes males. Mm -hmm. That for males to regard females as something worthy of respect and to to rein in their power and and strength to uh, have have a sense of of dignity of, of females and of themselves, that's a very good thing. And I also believe it's a very good thing for females to realize that the male libido is not the same, to be honest about the extraordinary hunger of the male libido and to exercise their own control over that. But you can't have it both ways. You can't decide that we're gonna celebrate prom female promiscuity at the same time that you're gonna hammer males for taking advantage of the sexual caravansary that we've created. Right, and then you hear these crazy stories. I'm sure you heard the one a couple months ago about the guy and girl that got drunk and then the next morning they both accused each other of rape because they, okay. they because they basically wanted to beat the other one to the punch. Sure, the principles, absolutely. Yeah. Pr do the principles, right. Yeah. And so much of this is also just, you know, oh, oh, oh I, I cheated on my boyfriend. Right, you, you know, feel bad so, the next yeah, morning. Yeah, absolutely. And then social media just, brings this thing to a whole other level, right? Because then just everyone is just at everyone's throats. And, well, we're desperate to find another example of rape culture. It's very hard to find. You know, in fact, again. What, what would be rape culture? Like when they say we have a rape culture, rape culture really would be, well, rape, certainly it's not in America. I mean, there no, might be it's, some. No, it's in India, it's yeah. in Afghanistan. Yeah. It's, it's like, it's like being forced to be in a hut in Nepal, in rural Nepal, if you're menstruating. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's a tolerance for group rape that is finally, you know, people, women in India are finally trying to sort of push back against this. But in a lot of Afghan villages, it's, you know, the problem is now the, the female is now banned from, from the village because there was rape with force. Uh, but please do not tell me uh, that that females in in this country are victimized by rape culture. In fact, females from the time that they are sentient are the target of nonstop messages of female empowerment. You go girl, code, girls who code, whatnot. Mm -hmm. It's incessant, incessant. It's the males in our culture today who get no positive encouragement and they are withdrawing, uh, you know, there, there's uh, the uh, failure of males. You can see it in the social indicators. is huge because suicide rates, all, all of it. Absolutely, they are told that they are the bearers of toxic masculinity, and uh, this is a very dangerous thing that we're playing with. 
what tools have you seen to get men out of that? I mean, I think Jordan Peterson was as close to a sort of mass move to yes. get young men out of this thing. Right. I think we need more voices like you and, and Peterson. And if somebody was a political genius to try and organize your followers, because they're out there, uh, but they need to be more vocal and more empowered. I mean, one of the things I love, but again, this is, this is uh, <laughs> precluded by the moment we live in, I think the Boy Scouts was one of the greatest inventions. You know, this was an invention to try and help poor inner city kids that were themselves the subject of breakdown of social mores. But it gives boys a code of virtue and goodness and honesty and achievement. Uh, but unfortunately, the gay lobby uh, yeah. put the Boy Scouts out of existence. Corporate money dried up. You have never seen such a thing of beauty as an inner city scout troop. I've been in base, church basements in Bensonhurst, Brooklyn, to see these little kids tying knots, pledging allegiance to the flag. It breaks my heart that corporate America has been bludgeoned into supporting inner city scouting because the, the, the employees said you cannot support a homophobic institution. That is that is. It is tragic. All right, so let's dive into that a little bit. So, so I'm with you that the gay lobby they they attacked and tried to basically destroy the Boy Scouts. But mm -hmm. you, you as a person, would you? I know you don't want to push your values on the Boy Scouts per se. Mm -hmm. Would you have cared if there had been a gay scoutmaster? You personally? Uh, I wouldn't have cared on a. Because that's really right. what, what it seemed to have all boiled down to when, when, I, the, when I the lobby would, I moved would be, on them. I don't know. I, you know, I would be sympathetic with parents who were worried about child abuse on a, on a camping trip. It's a, minor, it's a small risk, but it is a risk nonetheless. I'm sorry. Let, let's be honest. It is a risk. So I would say the good compromise was keep it. Uh, you don't have to be out about it, perhaps. But I just don't think... I don't think that issue is relevant for the vast majority of scouting, especially mm -hmm. again in the inner city. It's just not relevant for these kids. They don't, it, it, whether they, what their stance is on, on homosexuality doesn't really matter. Hey, it's Dave Rubin for Omax Health. I know living with chronic pain is the worst. It's more than a feeling of discomfort. It affects your whole life. If you have pain that's prevented you from relaxing and sleeping or stopped you from exercising, and it hasn't improved with any of the treatments you've tried, do what I did and use Omax Health. Want to get rid of nagging muscle and joint pain immediately with long-lasting recovery? Then you need to try the natural breakthrough pain relief solution CryoFreeze CBD roll-on developed by Omax Health. I use it on an old basketball-related injury on my shoulder. It worked for me and anyone can benefit from this immediate pain relief. You have pain that won't go away, then you qualify for Omax CryoFreeze. No messy creams or horrible fragrances like some of those other products. CryoFreeze works within 10 minutes of application, so go to omaxhealth.com and enter code RUBIN to get 20% off CryoFreeze and site-wide. Go to omaxhealth.com and enter code RUBIN to get 20% off CryoFreeze and site-wide. omaxhealth.com, code RUBIN. And now back to the show. Right, see, well, that's the part that, so I, I agree, it doesn't matter. Um, I would wanna know what the numbers bear out, I suppose, relative to like a predator infiltrating and then molesting a kid. Obviously, you don't want that. But yes, I think the way that the lobby comes in and then just bludgeons them to, you gotta do what we want you to do, thus mm -hmm. sort of destroying all the goodness there, 
I'm completely in line with you on that one. Yeah, yeah. I guess I would just say again, like it, the kids are more important than a certain gay identity. There's plenty of other places to have gay pride. It doesn't. You don't have to do it in the Boy Scouts. So, with that in mind, are you concerned that all of our institutions are going to succumb to this stuff? Like, it seems like everything. They already up for, have. It, no, no, yeah. it is not. I mean. Has we want to be. Sailed? We want to be optimistic. Yeah, we're, you know, we're you all don't want to be. <laughs> we're past that point. Because I know you think that 2020 yeah. is going to be the the year it all crashes apart. Well, you know? I think I think that it identity will... politics is is self defeating. It can't go any further. I wish I shared that. <sighs> so what I yes. So I'm basically there. Well, I, what I think is going to really happen. Not that it will ever burn out completely, because I think it is so psychotic in nature and unhinged yeah. from re reality. But I think this election will cause it to have a necessary split, mm -hmm. something like that. So the, the split that we talked about earlier about the AOC and Biden should not be in the same party. I think enough people are gonna fully realize that, that the social justice warriors will carve out whatever their thing is, and then the other sane people will have to decide, are we still Democrats or are we gonna become Republicans? But yes, I don't know, will it crash to the point of that they're gonna give up? Well, these people show no signs of ever giving up. Well. Again, I hate to sound apocalyptic, but I, again, this is a genetic <laughs> yeah. thing. I know that I'm inclined towards that yeah. by, by definition, uh, but it is impossible to overstate the, the power of the assault on meritocratic standards in our culture today. Colorblind, genderblind meritocratic standards. There's not a single institution that is not on the defensive. Mm -hmm. If it has any kind of achievement standard that has any kind of disparate impact that does not result in exact proportional representation, whether it's 50-50 males or females, or uh, you know, minority-based representation, any, any standard, whether it's in the STEM fields in science uh, that does not result in, in that halcyon proportional representation is now under assault. Every there, there, corporation there might be some to, Christian private school, right, that has withstood some of this, something uh, like that? that that's dedicated or, or conservative, to classics. Yeah, so, yeah, maybe has yes, fought some fact, of it. Yes, in fact, I mean, yeah. I'm always cheered on whenever I see a panel that's coming out of some think tank and it's all males. I think, ah, oh, one last one, you know? <laughs> and frankly, yeah. let's be honest, I mean, what I track is the uh, natural experiments that that is a, they absolutely explode the feminist explanation because there's a, there are a few institutions out there without any gatekeepers. And so it allows you to test, you know, the, the explanation for lack of 50-50 male-female is inevitably sexist discrimination. So let's look at the places with no gatekeepers. A, that's Wikipedia. Mm -hmm. The editors of Wikipedia, there's no barriers, there's no historical preference oh, I know for where Wikipedia. I, I know where you're going with this, but, but it ends up being for mostly men. It's overwhelmingly male. Why? Because males, on average, and I'm not talking about your daughter, yeah. Ben Rubin, <laughs> Dave Rubin, listener, you know, she's gonna be a Nobelist, but on average, yes. males are more interested in facts, in things, in ideas, in accuracy, in sports trivia, and they're the ones that want to get involved in that discourse. Recently, we saw there was the historic matchup of the three greatest Jeopardy winners. Hmm, they were Never all wrong. male. If you look at, I wrote about Scrabble Championship. There's no barriers to entry for Scrabble. Like all of the winners throughout history 
of a very short history have all been males. So if we were to take this back to what we discussed earlier, where then the lefties would maybe look at a separate sec set of facts to explain that, they would say something like, well, it's because we teach boys to care more about math yeah. or something like that. And yeah. you would just say, no, that there's biology before that. Absolutely, absolutely. The, turns out the most gender equal countries are the ones that have the biggest disparities in preference for professions. Right, so this is the Sweden experiment. Basically. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And, and again, this has not been the case for so long. We've had, again, strong females together. That has been the ethos of American education now for decades. It is just not possible to say that females are being discouraged from math. It is, they are being encouraged at every single moment. That there's any male mathematicians is a miracle. It yeah. just shows how strong that imperative is at the extreme versions. Again, we all know the distribution curves. Males are the worst math dummies, but they are also at the highest end, mm -hmm. the, 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 the most math gifted. Do you think that there's just a certain amount of cognitive dissonance that comes with a, a lot of this? Like, did you happen to see a couple weeks ago, Stephen King sent out a tweet that he's against diversity in arts because of course you wouldn't want painters and authors and creative people to have to have some sort of diversity quota. But this guy's a lefty progressive, you know, the whole thing. And he's definitely for diversity quotas and all the other things, but not in arts. Huh. And wow. I think it's partly because he's an artist. Yeah. So it's like not in my field because we're creative and creativity should always rise to the top. But for you people, but, but, but in essence what he's wow. saying is, well, doctors and pilots yeah. and the rest of you, you should, it should be based on skin color and sexuality and blah, 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 but not artists, because we're... Hilarious, well, I'll take it. I mean, if he's, no, if he, if like, he's actually willing to defend the arts, because that right. is, I mean, anybody who subjects himself to the New York Times arts pages, that it's all it is, it's all it is, is diversity, female and people of color diversity. So his position, it may be a narrow one, but I'll take it because... Right, because they're the kernels there at least, right? So then yes. it's like maybe something can grow out of that. Yes, but it's also, on the other hand, I really relish the fact that Hollywood is being pressed to sacrifice its best box office judgment yeah. for the gods of diversity. You know, and are they where, you know, they're absolutely torn. Which do they do? Do they choose to have female remakes, you know, that may not be the box office sellers or may not be as good? in order to placate the, you know, the Oscar bean counting and the Golden Globe bean counting? Or do they just say to hell with it, we're just gonna tough it out? I don't know, I don't know. It's, yeah. it's really great. Yeah, what an interesting time to live in. So I sense you're pretty enthused about sort of the way the world is at the moment. <laughs> like everybody sort of seems, everyone feels like it's crazy, it's never been worse, we hate each other more than ever before. I mean, I think all of that is nonsense anyway. And social media makes us all feel a little crazier. Yeah. But you seem to, even though, this is serious stuff. I mean, you're talking about institutions all being infected. You well, got a smile a on your face as you're talking to me. Yeah, so. but it's a pleasure to be have a of a, of a fellow skeptic here. And <laughs> and I would say to get back to an earlier question of yours, yeah. you know, are we heading towards a point of no return, and how do we get back from this? This is the dip, most difficult thing. The way we actually demolish identity politics, and again. The, the founding engine of this is disparate impact. We have to counteract the myth of bias. 
that as long as the only allowable explanation for socioeconomic disparities is the Ta-Nehisi Coates view of the world, the Michelle Alexander view of the world, that everything is driven by bias, the AOC world, they win. But if we've lost the schools already, which I suspect you think we have, of course certainly, we have. certainly at right. the uh, college right. level, but right. even if, if we've lost, K through great, yeah, if we've lost all of that, then suddenly this rosy picture gets a lot more murky, right? Yes, I am not, I'm not a rosy person. All I know is the way we get it back is to start giving alternative explanations. And in, if people are terrified to talk about, no, excuse me, their behaviors, the education gap. I mean, what we see now, it's tragic. Your average black 12th grader reads at the level of your average white 8th grader. Wow. That is huge. 40% of black 8th graders on the National Assessment of Educational Progress, this is one of these national standardized tests, 40% of black 8th graders do not even have basic math skills. Basic is the most, it's, you know, simple arithmetic. Those types of statistics make this expectation of proportional representation ludicrous. Right. And yet, the cowardice on the part of our mainstream institutions cannot be overstated. Within the last couple of weeks, the American Physics Association, the premier professional organization for physicists, came out with a completely predictable chest-beating mea culpa saying if we do not have proportional black physicists, it's because we are biased. There must be bias in our credentializing, in our physics education. These are people who were supposed to believe are smart. If they can't look it's, at it's the data. It's anti-human actually, in many ways. It's anti-human. It's saying you have no control, you know. But what has to happen is there has to be a major change in inner city black culture to get rid of the anti-acting white stigma. There has to be behavioral change, a different attitude towards academic accomplishment. But as long as the myth of bias, as long as bias is the only explanation, the, as long as the American Physics Society Association is not feel itself able to say there needs to be more studying, students have to take their textbooks home in K through eight, less truancy, nothing is gonna change. Do you think in a weird way that, that Asians might be the key to this yeah. whole thing? Well, that basically whole... Asians will get fed up of right. being quoted against yes. and not getting into Harvard, even though no one gave Asian people anything, just like no one gave my ancestors anything or your ancestors right. anything. Right. But Asians may just be like, you know what, Harvard is actually, everyone talks about systemic racism. Yeah. Harvard has actually put it in the system. It's harder to get in if you're Asian, right? right? And now right. the courts have said that's actually right. okay, right. which is bananas. Uh, but that basically Asian people will get so fed up, um, even though they're not a very vocal minority, they'll get so fed up about being genuinely discriminated against that perhaps that fixes the problem. I mean, it's almost a very backwards way of looking at this thing, but... No, it's a great the, idea. And, and indeed the Chinese in New York now, there's also a big Chinese parent movement because Bill de Blasio and his utterly terrifying yeah, schools chancellor, Carranza, yeah. are trying to destroy, again, every meritocratic standard. Get rid of it. It's all going to be based on quotas. Um, 
So the Chinese parents there are are protesting the destruction of Stuyvesant High School and yeah. sets. But on the other hand, it's really a race against time because Harvard, in its recent lawsuit, uh, uh, defending itself against Ed Blum and the and the challenge to its its discrimination against Asians, they assembled a big crew of Asian Harvard students who were defending preferences. And so, can you explain what their rationale was? I heard I heard a couple versions of this. Uh, just diversity, and you know, we got in, so like it didn't hurt us. But right. but they, I think the rationale is, is that the lure of identity politics and being anti-white is the key to the elite. That elite identity in this country now is is against establishment values and it's against meritocracy. And it's a it's a commitment to the idea of white supremacy. So to the extent that colleges can end up cloning Asian students in their own image of identity politics, and it, it is happening. I mean, you can go to UC Berkeley. You know, the the degree of of uh, specialization of the different ethnic groups there. You know, so you have the Filipino club and the and the you know Samoan club where everybody, there's power in victimhood. And, you know, the, the sort of laughable irony is that, so a lot of these left-wing Asian students want to be viewed as a, students of color. You know, please, right. please, we're students of color as well. Right. The irony is, is that the administration said, no, you're not students of color. You don't count if they're students right. of color. Right, your minority thing doesn't count. You're whites. For the sake of, of our quotas, your guys are white. So the poor students are, wait a minute, wait a minute, right. wait, why don't we get to be students but, but of color? But now they're, they're super white. They're not just white, right? Like they're, they're extra they, white they, now. They, they, they trump whites, that's right. Whites are, are, are uh, actually you know, get preferences over Asians. So I don't know. That's a, it's a really good question about self-interest versus ideology. And again, the lure of ideology, and we see this also with Indians, Indian Americans in, in this culture. The that'll, be the that'll be the next one. They are right? very left wing. Mm -hmm. But do you think that, that they'll sort of suffer the fate of Chinese Americans or something like that, and that eventually it'll turn on them too? And Yeah, they're discriminated against. I mean, the head of Google, the guy who fired James Damore for writing, you've talked about yeah. this, you know, a perfectly fact-based memo about psychological truths, things yeah. that the psychology profession has known for years about the big five personality traits, one of which, unfortunately, is called neuroticism. Poor, poor Mr. Innocent Damore yeah. used the word neuroticism and everybody freaked out, but that's, sorry, that's the psychology terms. Um, James Damore, who, by the way, had gotten a promotion for his job just two months before yeah, the memo. He's, yeah. he's a perfectly, he's a fantastic, <laughs> he's a fantastic engineer. He would have yeah. helped Google, but God forbid he put females at risk for it's, saying that, the reason there's not more females here is because average distribution of personality, you know, preferences. Anyway, but Sundar Pichai, he's Indian American, you know. So and and a lot of the schools chancellors in the University of California uh, that are doing all of the multiculturalism BS, they're Indian engineers. So it's very curious the trans thing. A lot of the parents are Indian. So again, it shows the gravitational force a victim identity, that that is how you credentialize yourself to enter the American elite, is to buy into this idea that this is a racist and sexist society. So you just 
briefly mentioned the trans thing there. Have you read uh, Douglas Murray's Madness of Crowds by any chance? Mm -hmm. yeah. So, you know, one of the things that I think he brilliantly does is he separates the T from LGB. He says right. these things have nothing to do with, e right. with each other. Right. Do you basically take that uh, position yeah. and sort of see why the trans movement has sort of spun off into something that's completely not about equality now? And yeah, it's, it's so clearly a power play. Why anybody takes these 14, 16 year olds Seriously, at face value, the, the desire of every adolescent is power. It is to be able to bend adults and the world to your will. And this is the most brilliant... We call this Greta Thunberg uh, exactly. syndrome. <laughs> but to be trans has even more power because you can trip people up in an ever more arcane linguistic thicket. And if they make the most innocuous linguistic error, they are guilty. And so you are, it is a, a way of asserting power over the world. And, and it's endlessly fertile and fecund. It generates more and more categories. Uh, and it is something amazingly, I mean, nobody thought about this five years ago, and now we're all supposed to believe that this represents some essential truth about human nature, where, again, it is just a way of clawing to the top of the viciously competitive totem pole of victimhood and being top dog for as long as it lasts, you know, and who knows, you know, big, big sweepstake award to whoever can come up with the next victim that will dethrone the trans identity, but it will come. Right, that, and that's going to be a big one. Like, yeah. one, what that what, one could what, possibly be. We just be, all wait, you know, it's yeah, something yeah. fun to look forward to. Right. So I take it when Biden said that uh, when you're going to jail, you should be able to pick which prison yeah. you go to, dependent on your decision about your own gender. You're, you're not a big fan no, of that. No, but again, look at, look at the power. There <laughs> yeah. you are, a prisoner, and you right. get to flip the tables and say, now you, state prison authority or federal prison authority, you have to bend to my will. Uh, it's just incredible. I, I remember the time it was, maybe summer of 2014, the Times ran a front full page editorial announcing the dawn of the trans era, that this was the new civil rights campaign. And it's just not true. Again, there is a very minute number of people for whom this is authentically a psychological disorder, but I think for most of it, it, I've talked at college campuses, and I don't really address the trans phenomenon, but in one talk at St. Olaf, I just gave, a, I read a section, a, a piece of prose that was written by some trans guy who was all, his head was all like tied in knots because he was trying to figure out when his gay friends called each other she and her in a gay rhetoric, and then they referred to this trans person, Alex, as she and her, whether they were respecting his identity, disrespecting her, and I thought, and my point was, <laughs> this is so trivial. Yeah. This is so trivial. You guys should be thinking about things outside of yourself. How about you lose yourself in the past? That's difference. So I, but that was my only reference to this. And this girl came up to me afterwards and said, you're not ex respecting my identity. This was just, again, another pitch for power. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, where it goes, but it, it's, it's ridiculous. It is not something that is the, a civilizational 
truism. You know, this is something we should all take that seriously. Yeah, this seems to be the one I think that is actually helping, let's say, our side the most. Really? Because it is so patently absurd. If you just can't say that there are biological differences between men and women, that doesn't make you a bigot, it doesn't make you a transphobe, it doesn't mean you hate women. Yeah. But, we, but it's something that we all just like, we just know, right? My, my four-year-old niece knows there's a difference between boys and girls. She's yeah. not a rocket scientist. So something, it's almost like this one, they overshot to the point really? that it might cause a little bit of a bounce back, which goes to, again, my prediction of the implosion of this thing. But Look at North Carolina. I, I don't know. I mean, there you had this conservative state mm -hmm. that buckled under corporate pressure. Again, corporations, everybody thinks there's AOC thing. Oh, big business, evil, white supremacy. No. But you can get them to do almost anything. Corporations. They've all got the CEOs have wives. Wives are disaster. You know, they push their they push husbands to the left, uh -huh. and they have human resources departments. As as the Google employees said in one of the chat rooms after Demore was fired, we have to kick this thing back because our HR department, known in googly language as people analytics, because you can't just call it human human resources. He said it's just an outpost of women's studies and black studies now. Uh, so these corporations are are promoting the trans thing and. Far too many parents are. I mean, I I did think that when the dictate started coming down that parents have to let their girl, their daughters, have biological males in their locker rooms and bathrooms, that there would be just pitchfork battles. And it didn't happen. I keep waiting for the massive rejection of this. It's not happening. School after school district is enacting trans policies. So you show me where, besides the Navitarova and, and, and Rowlings, yeah. that this is actually put any kind of dent in this crusade. Well, I think, I think Ricky Gervais' speech at the Golden Globes where he just torched identity politics and torched this very town that we're in right now. I think yeah. the J.K. Rowling thing, I think Martina speaking up and then her, them attacking her about trans yeah. athletes. I think, I think it's just starting to bubble up. Okay. Wh which way that goes? We don't know, but I think there. I think it's people are getting a little bit braver. I hope so. Don't burn this book. Comes out on April twenty eighth, and it's it's about giving people the keys, sure. the keys to the bravery thing. Believe me, we, everybody's got it in their uh, calendar marked. Yeah. So. Um, all right, we only have a couple minutes left. You 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 plow through so much information at once that I feel like we've been talking for ten minutes, but it's it's been about an hour already. Okay. Um, I want to go over time. So, what what else has sort of been on your mind lately? Like what are what is something that maybe I'm not tracking or that you think reg regular folks aren't tracking that you sort of see as another, another frontier we're gonna have to be fighting on? Oh man, that's that's a bad question <laughs> without an answer. Without an answer. Well, you uh, you said what's gonna be the spectacular one that knocks trans off this, but is there something else that you're sort of seeing new data on or just that's piquing your interest lately? Mm, I, no, I'm I'm just paying a lot of it. I still, for me, my heart lies in universities. I, you know, for me, there's no greater good than the privilege of being able to study the great works. And so I keep hoping that there will be pushback there. I guess I've seen there are some signs of hope in a, a, a movement to start classical academies at the K through 12 level that are explicitly dedicated to teaching the great books without identity politics. I think that movement has to be supported. I wish philanthropists would do more to, to put their money behind beauty 
and wit and irony and greatness and sublimity. Uh, I think that nobody's cracked the problem of the college credentializing and the, the uh, fierce hunger of these allegedly left-wing parents to you know, credentialize their child with the most status-producing uh, uh, diplomas possible. I would love to see a movement to have a revival of tutors, which used to be the way that people got educated. So homeschooling for college kids, because we've got to shut these institutions down. So that you could By have the way, I think that's happening right now because of YouTube. I think the amount of stuff that people are learning from pretty brilliant people, many of whom mm -hmm. have sat in that chair and, and plenty of other shows, I think it's happening already. I, I think people are being, well, the New York Times, did you see the New York Times piece a couple weeks ago about PragerU? Uh -huh, that the right, right wing organization the one. They're is terrified. It's yeah. circumventing parents and professors yes. to teach people right wing views. And yes. it's like, they try to make that sound scary, but whoo, right. you know, it's like, thank God. Right, I mean, I adore PragerU, I adore Dennis Prager. I would say those, he's doing basically political topics, which is absolutely necessary. He is taking on the lies that are so distorting our world that he's not taking people through books one through 12 of Paradise Lost. Mm -hmm. One needs time, one needs depth, one needs focus. And so I would love to see, basically there's a lot of graduate schools in this department now that are not in this country that are not accepting white males because they know they are not gonna get a job. I mean, it. White males, boys are doomed at this point unless we turn this around. You know, I can't remember if I told you this last time you were here, but the guy who did the lighting in my studio uh -huh. is a, you know, we're in LA here, so you get great people to, to do things. He's an Emmy Award winning lighting guy. He's in his mid-60s, been in the business for 40 some odd years. Huge lefty, 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 yeah. lefty, progressive, the whole thing. Um, we get into all sorts of political debates and then we kind of put it aside, it's okay, because he's because he's a, he's a progressive of a certain age, so mm -hmm. he doesn't have to want to kill you. He can talk. He can, talk. He he can talk. do it and he'll yeah, want to kill yeah. you at the end. Anyway, he did our lighting, he did a spectacular job. Uh, I spoke to him a few months ago and he told me that he was told by an HR person at a major studio here in LA, I won't say which studio, um, that as a white guy in his yeah. 60s, he should probably think about retiring. Yep, absolutely. And, and then suddenly, oh, so, the, so then so he then called me. Did, so he, then he called me and he said, Dave, maybe you right. haven't been as crazy as I've been oh, telling you. Yeah. God. Well, a lot of people process that, yeah. The Lee Siegel, this writer, had an op-ed in the New York Times recently about his depression and the America, you know, we've got this crisis of mental health, which I'm a little skeptical about. But anyway, he said, well, as a white, as a 62-year-old white male, uh, you know, I, I, of course, I, I really support the movements that have basically made me completely superannuated, you know, so he sees it too. Yeah. It's just remarkable. Yeah. Uh, but, but anyway, I would say if there's any white males who are still doing traditional studies in graduate school and are not getting a job anywhere, they should be tutors. You know, have huh. they should say, I'll take you on the grand tour. We'll go to Rome. We'll go to Florence. We'll go to Vienna. And we will read the great books to keep these books alive. Because if we don't read them, they die. The burden is on us. Education is about passing on an inheritance and we should be down on our knees in gratitude before works of such exquisite language and insight into the human condition instead of this preposterous conceit of cultural appropriation. I mean, some of the most profound insights into female sexual psychology and, 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 and uh, competition that I've been, have been written by males. 
You know, should I care that it's a male? No, I don't. I just want beauty and insight. So that that's what I would hope is our, our next phase to get out of this. Man, Heather, all I have to do is just lob them up for you. <laughs> and you knock them out of the park. It was a pleasure as always. Thank we'll, you so we'll do much. this again soon enough. Great talking and uh, you're not big on Twitter though. You're not a, you don't fight with everybody on Twitter. You're, you're on the Twitter. Twitter is just to send out my recent uh, writings and, and appearances. So. A good enough reason to follow her. It's at HMD at MI.